here was a celebration. We don't ever want to see loved ones leave or people that we know who've impacted our community. And I think with John, the thing that he did uh, was simply try to do what God wanted him to do. And and Gene uh, talks, got up there, and, and Mary Lou got up there, and the thing that impacted us and a lot of us here at Tulane, and Dandy and I were here many years ago, and were able to participate with the Easter pageant, right? How many of you uh, were involved in the Easter pageant back in the day? And that was a, for me, that was a celebration. I saw somebody raise a finger. <laughs> Some of you may not want to, yeah, yeah, kind of. But it's a good testimony about what can be done in our lives with our time. And it doesn't even have to be an Easter pageant to celebrate and to point people to Jesus Christ. I hope that we all have that perspective that we will do with the time that we have. We will use it to glorify Christ and and point others to Christ. If we have land, if we have tractors and all that, whatever we're doing every day, it's, it's for his glory. Even if we don't have an Easter pageant on our plate. Um, there's a few other things that were said that I thought were really important that that uh, Pastor Dean shared as well. That we uh, do we think about this journey of life as we're, we're we're able to enjoy this journey of life with other believers to be encouraged and be an encouragement to them. That's what I got out of it. He didn't say it in those words. That's kind of a paraphrase. But God has blessed us with other believers. And so hopefully all the things that we do here at this church will be to encourage you in the Lord and help you to get acquainted with and be there to invest in other people's lives. And hopefully that they will invest in yours and encourage one another in in the Lord in that way. And so as we come to the passage this morning, we are going to reflect upon the coming of of the king in Matthew 21, 1 through 13. And so, um, if it'll work here, we'll start the next slide. I don't know what's going on. But anyway, uh, the coming of the king in Matthew 21, 1 through 13. Uh, We read this passage just a few minutes ago. Uh, I want to to follow up in verse 12 and 13. So we read 1 through 11. And at the end, it's fascinating, their statements there. But in verse 9, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Verse 11, kind of a paradox. Verse 12 and 13, notice, and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den, a den of thieves. Well, one of my my thoughts as we were coming to this passage is that Jesus first came as the, the, the prince of peace and the suffering servant, but notice what he does in verse 12 and 13 after entering Jerusalem. He overturns the tables. 
And so as we draw near to Easter, hopefully we are the ones who are following Christ, knowing who he really is and that it has affected us completely and totally. Not just that we're assenting and to the fact that, hey, this is God's appointed person coming into the city, but no, he is the son of David, he is the son of God, he is the Messiah, he is the king. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this this morning thanking you for all that you have done, and we ask, Lord, that you would guide us in our study, that as we study your word, as we listen uh, to what you've told us in your word, that that it will impact us in such a way that we are encouraged and we are strengthened to go out and live a godly life, uh, bringing glory to you in your name. We ask that you guide us as we look at it. Uh, May all that's said would be what you want to be said, and may we be receptive to what it is you want us to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we come to Matthew 21, 1 through 13, and as I was thinking about this, I, I was thinking about the attention, right? The attention of the people and what that really meant. They, they paid attention to Jesus coming in, but it's, it's almost like five days later, all of a sudden they're so distracted they, they forget what had happened. Or their attention was on the outward, as we talked about a little bit in one of the Sunday schools, there was no spiritual significance to what they were paying attention to. It was all physical. And I was thinking about how distracted I often am. There's one movie, cartoon, of course, that that I like to, or my family and I like one line out of that movie. We like to say it frequently. And the movie's about a, a, a young man who meets the girl of his dreams as a little kid, and they grow up together, and they grow old together after being married. They invest in this home. This home is kind of where they met. It's where they lived. It's everything about the relationship, and then she passes away. He's left there, and no longer are they they in the quaint little rural area or uh, town area, small town, but it's nestled between these skyscrapers. And so not only has he lost the love of his life, she's passed away, but his home is in danger where he had met and lived with her all of his life. And so he gets this idea to put helium balloons together, and they, he starts floating away, right? Movie called up. Uh, impactful. First few minutes of that movie, he's like, wow, tearjerker, right? But they float off, and, and they were also adventurers. They wanted to go and see the world, but they ended up living in this home. Not a bad thing, to be honest, to live a life in one home with one woman all of his life, but he missed her greatly. Anyway, there's a young uh, kid there who's going to sell stuff to him to earn a badge, and it's a little bit funny as everything takes place. Uh, but coming back to my point, which, you know, coming back from going down that rabbit trail, uh, they end up landing on this place where the adventure that they had admired had somehow rigged these little uh, collars that would read the mind of the dog and be able to speak for the dog. Okay, So they meet this little yellow lab, and he's kind of the outcast of all the other dogs. But the line in this movie that, that they get is, so it's reading their mind, is they'd be talking and going through their 
dialogue, and all of a sudden, squirrel, right? Have you heard that? And you don't see the squirrel ever. You just see them going through the movie, and it's comedic relief. Squirrel! And so when, you know, coming back to the main thought here of attention, uh, in our family, if we're talking or someone's talking to us and we realize, hey, I wasn't paying attention, we'll say, squirrel, <laughs> I'm back, I'm sorry, I didn't hear a word you said, or I was following you until I saw something distracting, right? And so that's one of my favorite lines to say, and it brings us back to the thought of that movie, and, and hopefully uh, no bad repercussions because we were distracted when we should have been paying attention. And think about the people in this passage, how they were so easily confused or distracted from what really mattered. Here we have Jesus Christ, the Messiah King, coming into the city. And they celebrate, and they wave them palm branches, and then, oh, okay, let's go on, squirrel, right? And then they come back. And no one stands up, or they're involved in saying, crucify him. Just a few days later, right? And I think it's a challenge for us as we look at this passage to say, you know, who is this Jesus? Do we really believe in him? And... Yes, hopefully we do, all, all of us here in this building, I pray that we all have trusted in Jesus as our Savior, but how does that impact our life, and how distracted are we? And there are times when we do not give things our full attention, right? And, and we should be. But today we, we will see that we must give Jesus Christ our full attention and the, the main thought here is the coming of the king demands our full attention and faith. The coming of the king demands our full attention and our faith. And there's, here there's two things that, that must occur because of his coming, which we can see in the triumphal entry. Our full attention of his coming demands sincere recognition first, right? Sincere recognition and our full attention of his coming demands a heartfelt change. And I think if we get these things right, first recognizing who he is, hearing the proclamation, it'll lead to a sincere faith. And so when you look at verses 4 through 7, let's read through those again. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a burden of beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he sat on, on the coats. And then the crowds get involved. But here we see in Mark eleven three, and I sh you know, Mark eleven three, a correlating passage in the same time it says that he is king the lord has need and here we see when they they go before this man uh, jesus had told them say the lord has need the lord has need of the donkey if they were to say hey we don't want you to take it 
the Lord as need. Not just the master, but the master. The king. And here we find in verse 5 is the fulfillment of prophecy. You also see in correlating passages in 12.15, but it's of Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so we know this. We've heard it over and over and over again that he fulfilled prophecy even down to the detail that this was a foal or a colt, one that had never been ridden on, one that was still young, and he entered Jerusalem riding this colt. Now, I've never, I don't think I've ever ridden a, a donkey I don't remember or recall, or a mule. But I do know that oftentimes you ride a a pretty fresh horse. It's not going to go well unless you do some some work with that foal, that colt beforehand. And take your time, take days, take a month before you're ready to really ride them good. Unless you're an old cowboy and just jump on and go for a ride. Right? Jesus fulfilled prophecy even in riding this untamed little donkey. Well, tamed in the sense that he's around people all the time, but how often had he been ridden? And as he was coming in, Jesus is not only king over nature as we see throughout the Gospels, right? Making the storm stop, walking on water, defying all of the scientific laws. Here he is, master not only of the donkey, but of all people, riding into city, proclaiming himself as Messiah King in this very act. Not only that, he was completing Daniel's 69th week. What a powerful, powerful image. Jesus fulfilled scripture. So we have the proclamation of the king and and we see the king who came in peace. And the use of a cult shows that he was coming in peace. And yet, of course, I read those last two verses, 12 and 13, that that Jesus turned over the money table. He's the king. He should show him what's right, right? But he did come in peace. You'll know it (laughs) when he doesn't. Um. As I was talking in Sunday school, I realized recently I'd been using illustrations from the, the movie Passion of the Christ with the Bible study uh, high school youth, and that's about the time they were all born, so a lot of them hadn't ever seen it, hadn't ever seen it, and so we decided to watch it, and at the beginning of the movie, the first part of the movie, remember what Peter does with the sword in the scripture as well, but it portrays it so clearly. He cuts the ear off of him. He pulls his sword out, and yet Jesus heals the, the, the guard in his ear and, and tells him, 
he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. And I was thinking about that this week, about Jesus. He came as the Prince of Peace the first time, the suffering servant. But when he comes back, when you look at Revelation 19, it says he will slay him with the sword of his mouth. And we will come with him. We won't have to lift a finger. When Jesus comes again, it's fascinating. In the very word he speaks, he will destroy the enemy. But he came the first time as a prince of peace, riding in on this colt, showing not only that he's a man of peace, but when you look at the book of Judges, you'll see that the judges would go about on these, these donkeys, and it showed that they have the right of rulership, the right to make a decisions. We find in this passage, as we draw back to this passage, come back to this passage, we also see that they were throwing out their, their coats and, and clothing out in front of them, and branches were laid on the, on the ground as a carpeted entrance for royalty, recognizing not only by saying, Hosanna, not only recognizing him as the one who came in the name of the Lord, but as their king. He is king. And look at 2 Kings 9.13. 2 Kings 9.13. Then they hurried, and each man took his garment and placed it under him on the bare steps and blew the trumpet, saying, Jehu is king. This is what they did for kings in their custom. They showed homage to him, especially at the coronation. And they're saying, Jesus is king. And what happened? Now maybe they were giving him the rightful attention. Maybe they were sincere, but it didn't. Their sincerity was pretty off base. Whether they were distracted by a squirrel or something, you know, they were off. I found an interesting story about Alfred the Great, who was the ninth century king uh, who saved England from conquest by, for you Danes, I'm sorry, the Danish, okay? At one point during his wars with the Danes, Alfred was forced to seek refuge in the hut of a poor Saxon family. Not recognizing her visitor, the woman of the house said she had to leave and ask Alfred to watch some cakes she was baking. But the king had other things on his mind and did not notice that the cakes were burning. Upon her return, the lady unknowingly gave her, her sovereign, the king, a hearty scolding for letting those cakes be burned. That's from Today in the Word, 1992. <laughs> a wonderful illustration. First, she didn't know he was king. He was distracted, and the cakes got burnt. And so she gave him a hearty scolding. The problem that, that we see is not necessarily that the peasant should have recognized a hiding king, but that the Jews didn't recognize the Messiah king, even when he had showed them who he was in this triumphal entry. They proclaimed him 
but they did not understand or believe in him. And so the coming of the king not only demands our full attention, but it does demand our faith. And, it, you know, the attention that we give him should be daily. It should be moment by moment. Praise the Lord. Jesus is willing to enter not just our hut, but our lives. And we can have a relationship with him daily. Do we stand there scolding, scolding him about such and such? Because we're more concerned about the things in this, this world than we are about giving him glory. We need to pay attention to what really matters. And we need to recognize who he is and allow him to make a change in our lives. Our full attention of his coming also demands a heartfelt change. And so we really need, as you go through the, the, the passages here, as we draw into the Passion Week, we really need to understand what's taking place and the toll it had on our Messiah, our Lord, our risen Savior. We need to know the price. The price. We need to recognize and need to pay attention to the price that he paid. Look at, let's go to John chapter 12. And I know, I believe last week we spent some time in John. I love looking at the Gospel of John. But John chapter 12, verse 27 through 34. Now my soul has become troubled. Okay, where are we at? Okay, the triumphal entry had just taken place, and now we have the teaching of, of Jesus. Okay? Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out and I if I am lifted up from the earth will draw all men to myself but he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die the crowd then answered him we have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever and how can you say the son of man must be lifted up who is the son of man well, here at this, this moment, I think it's just important first to recognize that Jesus speaks with the Father. And the Father speaks back. And the crowd doesn't understand. We also see in this passage that there, there is victory over Satan. And Jesus will die to bring others to himself. He knows this. And yet they still don't understand. They want a king to rule now. And he, he goes on to say in the next couple of verses, hey, enjoy me while I'm here, basically. <laughs> enjoy the light that you have. 
and become sons of light. These people missed it. Totally. Many of them. Even the disciples, they knew, but it was difficult to fully comprehend. We know, right? We need to understand the price that Jesus paid. And if we understand his willingness to do it, we understand that we can grow in our understanding of the love he has for us. But also, as we look at the Passion Week, do we understand how serious sin is based upon the sacrifice that Jesus made and the pain that it cost him even leading up to his final breath, even leading up to his final night? Know the price, accept the proof. The gentle king's coming was proof that he was not just a prophet or just a zealot. He was more. Look at verse 12. We're going to back up. We're going to, here in John 12 through 19, on the next day, the large crowd. Okay, so we have uh, the anointing of Mary. We're coming to the point where people are following him in in the gospel of John because in chapter 11, he had... Um, raised Lazarus from the dead. And in 45, in chapter 11 through 57, we see that the religious leaders are making their, their decisions, they're doing their plotting, they're planning to get rid of him. And then we come to verse 12 here, eventually, on the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees, and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So when you get into the gospel of John, you're like, okay, a lot of them say, okay, they knew who he was. They'd heard all of these things that had t- taken place, knew he was a rabbi, knew he was a prophet, knew he raised Lazarus from the dead, and they're going to see him come into Jerusalem. In verse 14, Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people were, went out and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. And so it's bringing this climax. And so when he comes in, not only that, that Lazarus has been raised from the dead, now there's more and more people following Jesus. And so they're coming to meet him as he comes in. And wow, the religious leaders are upset. And they're trying to figure out what they can do to get rid of Jesus. We have proof, though, through the resurrection of Lazarus that Jesus is the Messiah, the King And there's rejection, and there's belief, but how real is that belief? Because it even says in this passage that the disciples remembered afterwards all these things that had happened. And I think if I'd been going through it, sometimes you kind of, you get, you know, in those moments of great excitement, you know, when I wrecked my granddad's 69 Ford, I remember kind of just zoning in, you know, I was a sixth grader. No power steering. So it wasn't I was being careless, okay, guys? It was an accident. I tended 
I tend to destroy things, you know, like a bowl in a china shop, okay, uh, even an old pickup. Uh, so I put it over on its side, went into the ditch, things got narrow, <laughs> you know, in my vision, and, and I just remember specific things. Things seemed to slow down, forget what they call it, but I wonder if that's happening to the disciples as they're going through all those, all this excitement and everything's going on, and they have this, this narrow vision, and, and you can't see everything. Your attention's there. And we have the glorious blessing of looking back and seeing that here's the proof. And we accept the proof, and the disciples accepted the proof, and many accepted the proof after. At the time, there was sufficient proof for them to believe, and yet the religious leaders rejected Jesus, and all the people would follow and go the wrong way. And because we, we know the price, and because we accept the proof, do we live in his power? Do we? Do we live in his power? Um, the problem is that often they, these people didn't accept, they didn't live a life of acceptance and, and following Christ, and oftentimes we don't do the same. Or we do the same as they do in that we don't accept and live in his power. Because there, the, the idea here is there is this outward display of acceptance that Christ is the Messiah King, but it did not go into their hearts. It was only skin deep. It wasn't a heart change. And so they're singing Hosanna, going back to, let's go back to the original text, Matthew 21, 9, and we'll, we'll close up here shortly, but in 21, 9, look at the crowds again, where they were singing Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. He is from God. And yet in verse 11, look. Oh, he's a prophet. This is a prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Okay, which is it? <laughs> Both? Yes. But which one makes the most significance to them at that time, which would cause a heart change? But they're saying Hosanna as an inscription of prayer to God for salvation, Hosanna is fresh on their minds as they, had, as they wave palm branches at the temple, as they, they would sing these phrases, Hosanna, national salvation from oppression to the son of David in the Davidic line. Mark eleven ten says, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. So see, they see this national salvation, which is not entirely wrong, but it has to be spiritual first. It has to be seen through the suffering of the Messiah. He came in the name of the Lord, and yet where did they turn after that point? Or where did they go? These same people, we don't know who was there when he was asking them, what should I do with this man? Do you want Jesus or Barabbas? Some surely were. They have either done a 180 or they have disappeared and melted away in fear and rejection or not complete faith. Even the disciples we know failed, right? Look at Peter. Yet, here's Jesus. Jesus, who, who does not fit their view of the Messiah King, 
And Luke 19, let's go to Luke 19 real quick. A couple books over here. 1941. For those of you chasing squirrels, we're in Luke 19:41. In your mind. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day even you the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. The big difference between the king who who hid in the the peasant's cottage, and the king of kings who gave his life up in order that the sins of all who can't call upon his name could be pardoned. The one hid, but Jesus came openly, was rejected, died, and rose again, which we all know. Hopefully we've all come to the point where Jesus Forgive me, come into my life. I completely believe in who you are and what you've done, the personal work of Jesus Christ. And yet for even me, it is very difficult every day to get up and say, I'm going to walk with the King of Kings and do what he wants me to do. I'm going to walk with the King of Kings and do everything I can to bring him glory and to give him praise. Do we recognize the full extent of what uh, we have accepted? Do we recognize to the full extent what Jesus has done? The Passion Week is a wonderful time for us to draw our full attention upon Jesus and grow in our faith. So the questions we can ask about this passage, are we like the people who sing to him one one day, one moment, and then later not really understand who he is and reject him? Are we like the people who agree that he is the Savior, but then that's about as far as it takes us? And hopefully we're not like the religious leaders who saw this as an affront to their authority and decided to try to get rid of him. Religious leaders who decide that they don't need him. And the question is, do we hold on to Jesus? If we hold on to Jesus, we will not be disappointed. That relationship with him, okay? And praise the Lord, Jesus is very patient with us, even in those moments where we're so totally distracted, right? He loves us, and he wants us to come back to him. You know, like, it's pretty easy. The squirrel, but are we that faithful like a dog, to come back to Jesus and follow him excitedly with our tails wagging, eager to do what he wants us to do. Who is Jesus and where are we with him in our relationship? And, you know, the celebration of the Messiah 
should continue every day. Should, right? I pray that that's the case. Let's pray. Lord, um, as we draw to a close studying your, your word, I just ask that you would guide us into a, a, a deeper relationship with you, really. Greater awareness of, of how glorious you are. Greater awareness of what you desire. A greater awareness of our ability to bring you praise greater of will, uh, awareness of other people's need to come into contact and into a relationship with you. Lord, may you uh, guide our thoughts, guide our actions, and we thank you for your patience and your grace upon us. I pray that you'd bless each one as they go out this week. In Jesus' name. So just to close down here this morning, you know, there's a couple of words that I often think of. One is no, right? That just a head knowledge? No. We want that relationship, that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We therefore need to be in prayer. So we need to pray, right? Because it's not in our strength, it's his. Be in prayer and live. Live for him, right? Know, pray, live, and proclaim. All right. Can we have a young men come forward and take up this morning's offering? I do want to mention that I'm very grateful for the work that, that Corbin has done for us. Uh, we do have a new uh, camera up there running uh, for Facebook Live uh, feed. Uh, it should tap right into the sound and give us better sound as well as hopefully better picture. And I was going to remind you maybe to silence your phones now because uh, Corbin got in to play a, a new uh, booster. So your cell phones hopefully are showing better service in here and throughout the church. So now you'll have to mute your phones, right? But thank you, Corbin, for your hard work, and thanks to all the guys and, and ladies that keep this church clean and running, and we appreciate it. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done. We, we ask, Lord, that you would just bless each one that gives, that we would be people who give cheerfully, knowing that you are our provider, our sustainer, and you hold us in your hands, our present and our future. Lord, may you be glorified in what we give. In Jesus' name, amen.